Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Mavericks. Your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. This is going to be huge. Welcome. You are locked on the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Engstead, media member at MavsMoneyBall.com, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the editor of Smoking Cuban. What you got for me, Isaac? Can we get him some help? Can we get Just the get, man some help? Get the man some dang help. We are continuing our 2011 Finals flashback. We are on Game 3. We did Game 2 yesterday and talked to the radio voice of the Mavericks, Chuck Cooperstein. We did Game 1 the day before that, and we talked to the legend himself, Deshaun Stevenson. It was a great interview. I enjoyed that a lot. Even with the technical difficulty, I enjoyed it. So go back and listen to those if you haven't. And today, we are talking to another guy that I call the man, Jeff Skin Wade. Oh, Skin. Skin has some great stories. Listen to the end. It's some really good stuff. I really enjoyed talking to Skin. And uh, we're talking about Game 3 today. So, Isaac, Game 3. After Game 2, which was arguably the, what people were tweeting me today, the second best game in Mavericks history. Oh, wow. So, after that game, kind of a let, kind of a letdown. Yeah, I mean, you just... I mean, you're riding the high wave. And you're going back home. Yeah. And you're like, man, this this is it. And if you're Miami, you responded perfectly. I mean, that's I mean, you can't you don't want to go, you know, back to Dallas and lose that game three, but and especially the stat, you know, the stat line um of since nineteen eighty five and since the series had changed to two three two format, the in a tied series, whoever won game three had won the series a hundred percent of the time, wow. all eleven, all eleven times. Wow! And so that was like a big storyline going into it, and you know, whoever wins Game Three, I mean, it's just like guaranteed; it's in the books. And obviously, <laughs> this series broke that that stat. <laughs> this um, series broke a lot of things. Oh, it was glorious! But yeah, I mean, as a, as a fan, you're super, you know, hot. Well, I was gonna say super high, but. Not literally. Some, uh, some may, some may be. <laughs> some maybe some, some more back we then. We do have maybe. listeners in Colorado, California, other <laughs> assorted places, Oregon. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, it was. I wish I had lived in Dallas back then that I could have went to at least one of these finals games. I mean, I would just be nuts. Imagine what it was like it. to cover these games. Oh yeah, it'd be so much fun. Imagine what it was like for our guest tomorrow. Mark Falwell. Imagine what it was like for him, or or yeah. or Chuck Huberstein to like call this game and the, you know, the excitement and just the man, like just the loudness. One of, one of the things I noted on here was the crowd seemed louder than in Miami, and I don't know if that's just the nature of you know Florida sports fans and Dallas. I was say, sports it's South fans. Beach, man. Yeah, like it's South Beach. Remember, this is where the 
2000 and which one is the one where they left early? <laughs> that's like a, that's a forever thing that everybody remember about Miami Heat fans is that that game where they left early and you know they tried to all get back in and they wouldn't let him back in. Oh yeah, when Ray Allen won the series <laughs> for LeBron. <laughs> oh, yeah, that must that was yeah. that was it. So it was not the not 2012 but 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the beginning of this game in the broadcast though, and it's on these clips, and we tweeted it out a couple times. I'll do it again. Uh, today or tomorrow, but where we're watching these clips on YouTube, and uh, they started the game with a montage side by side of the Heat comeback in 2006, and then the Mavs comeback in in the in Game Two in 2011, and just like how similar it was, and they're doing like things that were, you know were the same, <laughs> like even basketball moves that were the same. Like Dirk would do a dribble drive to the basket, and they would show Wade doing a dribble drive to the basket. They show Tyson Chandler getting a rebound. They show Shaq getting a rebound. Alonzo Mourning getting a block or something, and it was just, it was really odd to me. <laughs> it's just like a weird decision that they would do that, but uh, it sh- sort of showed the series. You know, the Heat had that comeback in 2006, and then now the Mavs and this, and then. The uh, momentum was sort of swinging back that way, but it also seemed, and even the beginning of this game, it seemed that the Mavericks were so overmatched that it took that incredible comeback for them to win a game. And so it just seemed, even you know at the beginning, uh, Dallas just seemed like an insane underdog. <laughs> even even during this game, there's just things that Miami was doing that it just didn't seem like it was possible for Miami to lose. Yeah, and it's like, it's this is no like disrespect to the Mavs teams, obviously, but you just felt like at times, like when you watch these two teams play together, you're like, man, like how did Dallas even like compete with that? <laughs> like how did Dallas even keep up yeah. with it? Because you know, but there's an obvious, there's this also uh, this like fool's gold with our with our eyes too, to where we see somebody. You know, we see these breakaways. It just seems, it seems, you know, with Miami and their young legs, and they just get out and run and dunk, and it feels like they, you know, they dunk the ball so many times. Gosh. And they get in the paint at will and all this stuff. And then you contrast that with Dallas's team of, like, Jason Kidd at point guard. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just not going to – even Jason Terry. And, you know, our, you look at our main – our big three on that team, Kidd, Terry, and, and Dirk, none of them are high flyers. They're not – they're exciting in their own way, but they're not like this Take athletic. That back about Dirk, <laughs> they're not the you know they're not these athletically hey top ten dunk you know something highlights and that a lot of fans will fall victim to. They're exciting and, and for us, but it did feel that way, and especially in this game, they just got out running so much. They just seemed kind of overwhelmed. I don't know you know what it was, but that's how it was at the beginning for sure, and kind of throughout the game. Yeah, there was this play that I noted. Uh, I think it was about nine. There was nine minutes left in the first quarter where Wade just had this behind-the-back dribble, splits Dirk and Tyson, and then threw it. You know, like laid it off the backboard. It was just this incredible play for him to pull off. And they, Miami, just had the wow plays. You know, like they have those yeah, players, like you said. Exactly. That they just every time you watch it, it's just wow, wow, wow. Look at that. Like my friend, uh, my friend has a son that's just about to be two. And he says, wow, whenever he sees something amazing. And so we'll be in the other room. And they put on uh, they put on the movie Shrek, which I hadn't seen in forever. But the dragon comes out and busts through the window in the, in the, one of the final scenes. And we just hear him from the other room go, wow. Like, you know, like you just, you, sometimes when you watch the games like this, you're just like a little two-year-old kid. And you just go, wow. Like, dang. These, these are, 
you know, guys playing at the highest level right now. But this game started uh, same starters as it had been: Kid, Deshaun, Mary, Dirk, Tyson, Bibby, Wade, LeBron, Bosh, Joel, Anthony, instead of his brother Joel Embiid. Uh, and this was the game that Haywood was out. So he had the injury. He had the hip flexor in game two, which I mistakenly mentioned. And then this was the game that he was out. But Roddy B was dressed. We got some yawn, yawn minutes too. We did. We'll talk about the yawn minutes. We definitely <laughs> will. Uh, yeah. And, and so we're going through this game. Um, got Yan Mahimni pretty early. <laughs> pretty early. And I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where to go with that. Uh, it's just because Brendan Haywood was out. Carlisle wanted to stick with the rotation. But the first thing they said when, when Jan Mahimi hit the floor was, he hasn't played since May 19th. <laughs> this series started on May 31st. So the guy hadn't played in you know almost three weeks. Two yeah. two weeks, three weeks. Depends on, you know. He got yammed on by LeBron, too. <laughs> it was nasty. LeBron had some, like, crazy like, – the young LeBron, I mean, he still does some crazy stuff now that's just otherworldly at, at times. But like, he picks some of those his spots dunk- more. Yeah. But like back then, I mean, you, the springy LeBron, God. Like, he, he just dropped it to lane, just throw it down. And Yon tried, but it was just, it was too nasty. Like, he had no chance. Yeah. There was, uh, yeah, then they played, they played this lineup Berea, Jet, Marion, Dirk, Yon Mahimni against, uh, Mario Chalmers, Mike Miller, LeBron, Udonis Haslam, and Jawan Howard. That's what I'm talking about. Jawan Howard getting some time there. Uh, And then at the end of the first quarter in this game, Mario Chalmers, another three from 30 feet at the buzzer. It was just so many times. It was like a running three, wasn't it? Yeah, so many times in this series, Miami got a shot off at the buzzer. I don't don't know why. But Dallas ended up, at the end of the first, they were up 29 to 22. And I just noted that LeBron made Mario Chalmers, Chalmers so good. <laughs> just so good. He was never that good. He just hit open threes. But LeBron like had the gravity to make those threes open. It was just it's it's kind of amazing just to see how far it fell off from there. Um and then there's a there's another play in the second. Miami went I may have had the score wrong there. I think Miami was up twenty nine twenty two. Yeah, Miami was up by seven. I, I don't know what I at said. The end but, of first, uh, Dirk was in the paint, and LeBron came up and tried to check him in the paint, and Dirk just owned him. <laughs> There's just like no chance. Like always, there's no chance that LeBron is going to be able to stop him. And then a minute later, LeBron stuffs Chris Bosh going to the going for a dunk attempt, and so you just felt like. Man, those were such great plays. Like LeBron scoring on the best player in the world, and then he stuffs, you know, Chris Bosh, and just the crowd was going nuts. And then um, Tyson Chandler was going up for a rebound. He's just getting grabbed and pulled everywhere, and it doesn't seem like anybody can stop him. And it seemed like like Dallas had certain plays that they could get away with and that they could execute. And then three minutes into three minutes left in the second quarter, the custodian. <laughs> Back again. Brian Cardinal. Back again. Back, back again. And then, related or not, the Mavericks went on an 11-2 run to end the first half. So, take that as you will. It's only because the custodian was logging minutes. The custodian was there. He was logging minutes. How many How many minutes did he end up with in this game? Wasn't it under 10? This says, this says seven seconds on basketball reference. 
seven seconds in this whole game? Yeah. Oh, gosh. He just came out, and that was it. Uh, but then, you know, at, it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, on the ESPN uh, box score for that game, it says zero minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't even count it. <laughs> a negative three plus minus. <laughs> it was uh, 47-42. Uh, Miami was still up at that point. Wade had 19 points. Jet had 10. Dirk had 10. And then Wade was interviewed by Doris Burke. And we're three games in, and uh, we still haven't seen LeBron do an interview. Maybe do anything. <laughs> but I think the interview is important, though. The interview is kind of a confidence builder. There are guys that want to talk at the end of games because it, it shows that they made – you know, that they – we're the best player in the game. And I don't know how many players, you know, like that, but I do I do know that some players like want to be that guy that is talking to the media afterwards. Now they don't enjoy the pro- they don't enjoy the process of it, but it's the recognition of you were the player of the game. And well, so far yeah, LeBron well, has it, not been that guy. Yeah, exactly. I think I don't think it's like a a personal z- decision on LeBron's part. It's the fact that Wade is it's Wade's team and Wade's been the best player all series. No, so. yeah, that's the point that I was making is that Oh, okay. That yeah, some players want to do this, but they haven't picked LeBron yet, and the, the players don't pick that. You know, the the media gets to pick, Doris Burke gets to pick it, whoever you know the broadcast, whoever the director is, like gets to pick who the player is, and it hadn't been LeBron yet. And I think that was telling, and it continues to be true <laughs> throughout the rest of this series. And so, um, so at halftime, like I, oh, like I said, it was forty seven forty two, and then Dallas went on a six zero run to come out. And uh, Berea versus, versus Mike Bibby was just really funny to me to, to see those guys go, going at each other and trying to guard each other because neither could guard the other. <laughs> you know, like, it's just kind of the, the way that that matchup was. It's, it's going to be a lot like Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving when we see that. Yeah, that's true. Um, Dirk, at this point, there's so there's five minutes and 45 seconds left in the third. And Miami is still up six. Dirk had made 158 out of 168 free throws in the playoffs so far. <laughs> he was just ice cold. Just man, no one was gonna gonna. No one was like that was insane to me. That just because the confidence of of making those free throws and then just the concentration and then to be as tired as he was during certain games was uh, and to still hit free throws like that. Yeah. And Miami went went up by thirteen in the third quarter. Yeah, and then Dallas came back and, and went on a fifteen to two run, uh, and then they tied the game at fifty seven. Miami had to call a timeout with four minutes thirty six seconds, so it was a game of sort of going back and forth. But Miami Miami was it seemed like Miami was would pull ahead, and then Dallas would kind of come back, and then Miami would pull ahead, and you know it was like a yo yo in that way. So at and the that's end, well, I was just gonna say that's what that's what made this series not just that. Yeah, the Dallas won. This series is so enjoyable because each game was decided by so little of a margin. Yeah. And we get into the fourth quarter. Every fourth quarter throughout this series was a good fourth quarter to watch. And we saw that again. You know, it, as soon just like you said while I go, you know, Miami goes up by 13 in the third quarter, and you're like, okay, are they going to, like, stretch it out now? Like, are they really stretching their legs? And then Dallas makes their another run and sets up for another – entertaining fourth quarter that you're like man like this is what we're here for basketball at the highest level with the stars going at it once again and the stars sitting courtside george lopez scotty pippen troy aikman L- little no little wayne was in miami 
And then with uh, three minutes and 22 seconds left, or I don't know, I don't know exactly when, but sometime during the fourth, a drink was spilled on the sideline, and it took literally three three actual minutes for for that to get cleaned up. There three was hours. There, it felt like forever. LeBron was sitting under the basket. You had these you know five ball boys around it trying to clean it up. It was just so much, and it was everywhere. And they were just like basically spreading it around. It seemed like. They weren't cleaning up, they were spreading it. And so everybody's just stopped. The game stops. And three minutes may not seem like a long time, but if we stopped on this podcast for three minutes, you guys would you guys would realize how long it is. Everybody be so, clicking their home button on yeah. their phone and be like, Is this still What's playing? What's going on? Yeah. And then they'd be tweeting us that there is an editing mistake. So like they do every time. They well, I I appreciate that sometimes because I don't catch them. Then uh there's three minute three minutes of just like sitting and resting and uh, and, and then uh, Jan Mahimni gets his fifth foul. It's called for his fifth foul. He had five fouls in seven minutes. Shucks. <laughs> oh, man. Dirk tied the game uh, at 70 with 10-16 left. So this, I guess that drink was early, early in the fourth. And uh, the points in the paint <laughs> in the fourth, oh. during this game, Miami had 38, Dallas had 16. And that was, a, that was at some time during the fourth. So that's not the entire game. So it might have been a little different than that. But just do- – I mean, I mean Miami same was thing. just dominating. I wrote, it, I wrote it down. It was 40 to 22 at the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, so close, close enough. So, I mean, that's an 18-point difference. And it – I mean, it literally felt that way too, especially at the beginning of the game. But that Miami just got into the paint at, at will. But – because really, when you look at this game, I mean, yeah, you know, he would go on to win it, but like the team stats, there's not like a huge discrepancy in a lot of the, you know, different team stats throughout this game until you get points in the paint. <laughs> points yeah. in the paint, you know, that's just a, you know, Miami pretty much are almost doubled them up. And I mean, that's, that's just huge. Barkley had that huge thing when the Warriors were making their first run that a jump shooting team can't win the you know the championship. Uh, this team did. <laughs> this team was <laughs> definitely a jump shooting team because they weren't getting in the paint at all. Like you know, like you just said, that was a huge discrepancy in the entire game, the entire yeah. series. In that fourth quarter, I mean, we we know that Dallas the outcome to this game, but man, another vintage. Dirk Nowitzki performance and Gosh. that you just watch it. You shake your head and you just say, he's one of the greatest to ever play the game of basketball. There was one play specifically that I noted. Uh, Dallas was down two with two minutes and 36 seconds left to go. It's 84, 82 and jet sets a pin down for Dirk. Dirk goes back door. Kid finds him, hits the bucket tie game. And Dirk had scored the Mavericks last 10 points. Yeah. I think I was a dunk. Maybe. When he hit Dirk dunk going or something, backcourt. yeah, he was he just went back door yeah. on him and man, but yeah, he's and he scored after that too because he scored twelve points in a row for Dallas in the fourth quarter, but and he ended up with fifteen in the fir- in the fourth. He had fifteen Gosh. of his what did he end up with thirty four thirty something in the yeah, in the 34. game and you know fifteen of those came in the fourth, which you know clutch Dirk that we I read that stat off last game comparing his clutch stats to to LeBron's in the series, but, but that, that was the problem. There was no other help besides his clutch points because in the fourth quarter, Jet and Sean Marion both went scoreless in the whole fourth quarter. 
And they were your two, the, the second and third leading scorer for the Mavericks that night. Yeah. And the only there were only two other players that scored in the fourth quarter wait, wait, that can, night. Can I guess them? Guess them. It's JJ. Yep. And Tyson. Yep. JJ, I don't I forgot how JJ scored. I know I know Tyson's was a dunk. Probably off the pick and roll. He was he JJ Bray was killing off the pick and roll, whether it was just creating space or getting an extra pass or But I mean, but like the fact that they both just had two points and that was the only yeah. two point like the only two players that scored the entire quarter and you know, Dirk carried them and kept this game in place and you know, we had a chance. I mean we only lost by two, but I mean it was even the you know, what people were talking about after the game. When you have a teammate, Jason Kidd, and he was quoted by saying, we've got to have somebody else step up besides Dirk. And yeah, Carlisle, that speaks for it. Carlisle made, he, he was doing one of those interviews where it's uh, it's during the broadcast, but it's not actually during the broadcast. Like, they taped it before. And yeah. I think this was either, it was either in game one or two. He said that, you know, someone asked him about what the hierarchy of the Mavericks scoring, you know, is. And, uh, and Jeff Van Gundy was like, no, it's Dirk one, you know, Jet three. And, and, you know, Carlisle just said, we don't really have a hierarchy. It's, you know, Dirk. And then we just need four, <laughs> we basically just need four points from everybody else. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you just need the little contribution from everybody else. Well, this was one of the games that completely proved him wrong because they did get four points from pretty much everybody else. Berea scored six, Jet scored 15. You know, Deshaun Stevenson only scored three. Kid scored four nine Tyson five you know Mary and ten and you're just like you need more you need more from somebody you can't just have a little contribution from everybody it's got to be you know somebody has to step up and we'll see that in the next couple of games if somebody does and that's where <laughs> you know that's where it comes into these teams that are you know not one-dimensional but they're built on the one superstar compared to the you know multiple stars on a team to where yeah it's nice to somehow sometimes have this balanced team where you have jet and matrix and all these other people and you're just going to bank on sometimes of saying well let's just hope that one of those players have a big game and we've seen that we've seen jet have big games we've seen tricks have good you know big games stuff like that but (laughs) when they all play average then you got the problem you know then that's when you don't have that to where, like, even like Kobe and Kobe and Shaq, you know that, you know, if Kobe's missing, he he knows he has a player down low that he can throw it down to and give him a break. And like all all times, you know, all kinds of other players in history, just like Miami. I mean, we saw LeBron. He didn't. I mean, I'm not saying this because I you know dislike LeBron, but like he didn't have a good series at all. Nope. And you know, if it wasn't for Wade in this series, I mean, that could have been a, a sweep. You think so? If the, if Miami didn't have Wade, yeah, let's say Miami w- replaces Wade with two role players. With I like say a, Dallas. Let's sweeps. say they replace him with like Trevor Ariza and then like a Derek Fisher type point guard. Dallas sweeps. They st- sweep him. I think they do. Probably, especially if LeBron's playing as bad as he is, and you definitely. What did he have in this game? And he had seventeen, but like that's that's we, bad for LeBron. Exactly, like we say that so it's like subjectively as, yeah. as far as like, yeah, when you look at LeBron's stat lines, like they would be great for most people, but you have to hold LeBron to the higher standard of people were already saying, could he be, you know, like 
his stats and like the type of player he is, he's on this path to become the GOAT and all this stuff. So you you have to hold him to these higher standards. And yeah, I mean, 17 points in a finals game, even though they won, is not, you know, ideal for somebody to his caliber. Down the end down the, the end stretch, it was tied at 86 with a minute left. Uh, and then Carlisle put out Jet Kid, Marion, Dirk Tyson against uh, Mario Chalmers, Wade, LeBron, Udonis Haslam, and Bosch. So they're kind of throwing that Bosch at the five, you know, lineup again out there. Uh, Bosch hit a corner two. So Miami went up two with 39 seconds left at this point. Dirk turned the ball over. LeBron missed a shot, which was just a play that had crazy defense by the by the Mavericks. They just, you know, the Mavericks defense was so good in this series, especially yeah. sort of in these, these end-of-game plays. Dallas t- called a timeout. They're down two with 4.4 seconds left, and Dirk had an ISO shot off of uh, Udonis Haslam, and it was a, it was a tough shot. It's a shot that we've seen him make before. Uh, but he ended up missing it, and then Miami prevailed, eighty-eight to eighty-six. Haslam played really well defense too. I mean, he he played. Haslam was yes, Haslam was good. It's incredible the guy played four playoff games and then jumps in the finals and you know, plays incredibly. He had some kind of injury or something. He barely played during the regular season. Yeah, I mean that's he was just like their you know he's their glue guy. He's their you know their scrappy guy. And, yeah, he you know, played put twenty-nine him under- minutes in this game. Notice, Chris Bosh was not on Dirk at the end of that game. Nope, they they switched that up. <laughs> same, same guy that Dirk took to the basket to win, you know, game two. But took to the Haslam, basket or took to the cleaners. Both, both. <laughs> but Haslam played him well. Dirk, you know, obviously missed his shot, and it was a heartbreaker. I mean, that hurt uh, because yeah, I mean, Miami took took game three and they go up two one, and it was a winnable like, game at home too. It was. Those games are the ones that really scare you. <laughs> we're losing those games like that. That, but it's. I mean, it's not like they were up. You know, it's not like it was a huge comeback from Miami. To I mean, that would hurt more, I guess. But still, you really wanted that because, you know, ideally, if you think you can win all three of your games at home, that could have gave you the opportunity to win the win the chip at home. But that wasn't the case. That was the cards that were that were dealt and. Now it's up to Dallas if they can bounce back for game four. Do you know who led the Mavericks in plus minus? In that game? Oh, my gosh. Um, no, I mean, kid. Don't, over, don't overthink it. Kid? Dirk, plus 12. Wow. Dirk, was, Dirk was plus 12, and the next highest was a kid that was plus five. Huh. You know, and I want to say this again, and just to remind people. I know most of the people who are listening to this are you know diehard Mavs fans, but this is another example of Jason Terry is a six man. He is not a starter. Yeah. But yet, when we talk about this finals team, he is a part of the big three. He is one of the main players on the team. And it's just another example of it's not about who starts the game; it's who finishes the game. Yeah. And we saw it in in this fourth quarter. You know, Deshaun's out. Jets in. And that it's about who finishes these games. Yeah, and Deshaun only played 14 minutes in this game. Yeah, and like that, it should, those mindsets, it just blows me away sometimes when we talk about starters and all this stuff of how much it affects players in today's game. And it's like, we even talked about it last year. We, in prime case with, with Nerlens when we brought Nerlens over. And we're like, okay, well, Dirk's starting. Like, we're thought starting we, HB. I thought we weren't going to talk about him. 
<laughs> no, I'm just using an example of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what does it what does it matter if you don't start Nerlens? You know, like what does it matter if you're still going to log 30 minutes a game and you're still going to finish the game? You know, like if that's and so like we, I'm just saying like people or stars in in today's game can look at Jet and say, look at that, like he didn't even start yet he is the main one of the main three pieces of that championship team. Yeah, yeah you you just have you. You need role players to win, you know, the finals. You see it every year. You need you need two guys to play the role of star most most of the time. <laughs> you know, you need guys to play the role of go to scorer, uh, and not necessarily star. You just need like guys to play you know specific roles. You need a guy to play the role of of rim protector or you know insane defense guy that can just get you a stop no matter what. And the Mavericks had that and a couple guys and you know Deshaun and Sean Marion and and Tyson Chandler that were just able to get you stops on. on different different types of players you need guys that can just create something get you buckets you know jason terry dirk and you need a guy that'll you know play the role of running the ship jason kidd you just need guys to play certain roles and and, be, and fill in certain spots the heat had guys that can that could fill multiple roles with you know with the same player and uh you know lebron could fill multiple roles wade could fill multiple roles um and the, the Mavericks instead just did that with you know a couple different guys instead of just one, and that's where you give it to Carlisle too of saying, like when you look at two players and their all time status, Jason Terry's better than Deshaun Stevenson, yeah. like, but he didn't start, and that's where you give somebody like Carlisle credit too of and 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 Jet also of saying okay. And I mean, we could look at other teams throughout history or even in today's game that you could look at it and be like, okay, who's your sixth man? Whether it's, you know, Iguodala, you know, he's not going to start over, <laughs> whatever. But, like, who's your sixth man on some of these other teams? Are you better Ginobili. than than the starter in front of you? Sometimes that's the case, but the role fits the team and how the team is made up. And in this Mavericks team – Jet feasted on some of these second units and bringing Jet off the bench because the first unit rode Dirk's offensive game so well, you know, they kind of, they used that balance and, but then put them together at the end of the game too. And it's just, it's another, I mean, we could talk about Carlisle's wizardry or, you know, his genius, you know, all day, but it's just another nod to him. Definitely another nod to him, uh, but a loss for the Mavericks and, uh, Let's talk about the entire series with the man from 105.3 The Fan, Jeff Skin Wade. Napa know how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. All right, on the Locked On Mavericks podcast now, we welcome Jeff Skin Wade. I feel like we need a like a clapping track on the back. I feel like every time you're introduced, there's... <laughs> That's the beauty of post-production. You guys can just add that thing in later. So if you're listening right now and there's clapping... You know that that was added later. <laughs> if there's no clapping, someone was too lazy to add the clapping. So now you've seen the secret. And you can blame Isaac for that because he's not here. Dang so you, he Isaac. Didn't, he didn't even show up. But, yeah, thanks to Jeff Skinway for joining us. Uh, your name, you have, like, the three-name thing. And mm-hmm. I feel like you can't say the whole thing. You can't say Skinway. That just sounds weird to me. I think that that's actually a Mark Followell uh, situation because 
So when Ben and I first, you know, start, and actually we got our start, I mean, where people, I guess, first sort of were aware of us was doing Mavs postgame shows on the yeah. ticket. And so, you know, people have always called me Skin since I was in high school, and I've known Ben since then. Right. So, like, let's say, like, we would have a meeting with a program director, and Ben is talking to me or talking about me, and he's saying Skin. But, you know, the guy's looking at a piece of paper, and it says Jeff Wade, right? <laughs> yeah, they're like, so, who is this guy? Well, uh, exactly. And so what happened very early on when we were going to do, like, a fill-in show, or what do we call this thing? And the program director was like, well, it's the Ben and Skin show. I'm like, oh, yeah. So then I go on the air for the first time. The first time I'm introduced, I guess, as a media person, I'm Skin, right? Yeah. But that's fine, because that's what everybody calls me anyways. Well, then, you know, eight years down the road, it's like, all right, we're going to put him on the Maverick broadcast. But there's still, like... I don't know, a little bit of hand-wringing over, are we going to say this person's name is Skin? <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, well, like, just do, you know, and I was thinking this is, this is uh, you know, way before your time, but there was a guy at broadcast named Snapper Jones. Okay. And Snapper was his nickname, right? Yeah. So I was like, well, it'd be just like that, that you'd say his first name and then his nickname and then his last name. So it'll just be Jeff Skin Wade. And I think Followell felt comfortable doing that. And so that's how that thing it's almost like uh, Lord of the Flies, Sam and Eric, you know, where you just merge it all together into one name. So yeah, you I'm, just put it all together and it, it works now. Right. And, and an era was born. Absolutely. <laughs> a failing, faulty era was got off the ground. All right. Well, we're talking about a uh, successful era, which is the 2011 Mavericks Finals, which was an, an amazing year. And I just talked to, I talked to Chuck Cooperstein yesterday and was asking him about, a lot of people look back at this Finals and say it was the last honest championship. It was the last team that, you know, won a championship without a super team, having mm-hmm. to combine a whole bunch of players and uh he pushed back on that he said that that mavericks team was a lot better than people remember what do you think about you know the last honest championship or them facing a super team well i guess it, it, it's a matter of semantics i understand what chuck, chuck has always made that argument he's right well i think they were third in the western conference that year if i remember correctly yeah and then he was telling me you know you remember that you know dirk and tyson both went down at the same mm-hmm. time they had that six game losing streak and they were you know yeah better than that at that point Here, here's the reason here's the reason that people look at that thing as more of a miracle to, to, so, and, and actually, uh, yeah. recently, Michael Rappaport was in town as he part of the Big Three thing, and right. he did this live podcast, and Deshaun Stevenson was there. Right. And I have very, very, very fond memories of Deshaun Stevenson. Like, as, he's a guy— As does pretty much everybody. Yeah, he's a guy that when I see him, I hug him. He, like, I love that man. He waited and signed autographs at the Big Three for probably two hours. Well, there was they, a line all the way down. And he's me. a great dude. And, he, and he's different than people thought he was. He's a classic example of everyone thought he was this intimidating, mean jerk guy. Right, because he's a defensive guy, you know, a hustle. He's got dude, the beard, gritty. he's got a tattoo on his neck that yeah. looks like it was painful as hell. Uh, <laughs> but then you meet the guy, you're like, man, what a sweet guy. Yeah. What an awesome dude. Uh, but he's just like, he's down. He's down with the cause. Yeah. And he's willing to sacrifice for the cause. And so, uh, to Chuck's point, you know, I was very excited about that team. You know, Crom Butler went down in January or late December, whenever that was. Yeah. And it was Roddy actually, B, too. I was actually in <laughs> Milwaukee, right? Um, but if you, there was a West Coast trip that the Mavericks made in late March, early April, right before the playoffs began, and they were terrible. They got spanked. Yeah. They looked like they were done. And what happened is it was, I believe, the second-to-last home game before the playoffs. It was against uh, New Orleans. And in that game, I've told the story a million times, but I think it's a very important story. In that game, uh, Chris Paul is dancing on everybody's head and being the big jerk that Chris Paul is. <laughs> Chris Paul is the classic. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you hate him. Good luck, Rockets. Right. Yeah, have fun with that. But uh, but he's a great player, dude. Oh, and yeah. so he's destroying the Mavericks. And the Mavericks have this very intimate knowledge of this because in the 2007 playoffs, 
the Chris Paul to Tyson Chandler alley-oop was stomach-turning, right? There's no answer for that. We're just getting humiliated. And so Chris Paul and Tyson Chandler are very tight, but we know what Tyson means to a team and what he brings in these things. So Chris Paul in the first half is dancing on the Mavericks' heads and talking trash to everyone loudly, including the bench. Like, I'm wearing headphones, but I can say I can see what Chris Paul's saying. <laughs> it is very disrespectful. doesn't take a really good lip reader. To- <laughs> so Tyson Chandler decides, I've had enough of this. Right. And so it's a side screen and roll, and Tyson Chandler gets an offensive foul. It's a very aggressive screen in which he basically shoves Chris Paul into the scorer's table and then stands over him and looks down and says something very offensive. Ugh. Chris Paul... I'd have to go back and look, but he maybe scored two points the rest of the game. He got clowned. <laughs> His body language was different. He got yeah. humiliated. And so, man, I'm like total fanboy, even though I'm on the broadcast. So I'm like, <laughs> after the game. Kind of your job. Kind of my job. I'm over there with pom-poms and a beer. So I, I run up. I, I go into the locker room after the game, and I go up to Tyson. And we've got a great relationship with him because he does all these hits with me yeah. and Ben when we're on ESPN. And so we're friends. And I'm like, dude, that was incredible, man. I'm, and I'm so hyped. And he's sitting in front of his locker, and he looks up. And he's got sad face. Hmm. And I was like, uh, hey. And he was yeah, like, man, that's my boy. Mm. He's like, that He that was tough for him to do, you know. And, and But it had to be done. And so that moment, I swear, you go talk to people that were there at the time. Yeah. That meant something to a lot of people. And that was a springboard moment. And then to piggyback off of that, you know, the playoffs start a week later. As the story goes, Dirk and Jay Kidd. Go to Carlisle and say, we need Deshaun Stevenson in the starting lineup. Mm. I mean, if you go look at his game law, he hadn't been playing. Yeah. And they were like, we need him. And that set it, that that Tyson Chandler clowning Chris Paul followed up with, we're going to put Deshaun Stevenson in the starting lineup. That set a tone yeah. for that team that carried it all the way through to mid-June, and we all had a parade afterwards. And the some of those games, I mean, Tyson was just a monster. You just, yeah. you watch him, and he's he's the biggest man on the floor. And yeah. just like, you, like, how does anybody else have a chance at rebounds or offensive you, rebounds than you, you know, know with pe- Tyson Chandler? People always talk about you know uh, strategic things and, and adjustments that happen strategery. in the series and strategery, right? <laughs> and the one that gets a lot of credit in the finals and was, it was great was the JJ Barea into the starting lineup thing. Yeah. The other thing that became a wrinkle that defenses really struggled with is that staggered double screen that Jet used. Yeah. And that was really hard for defenses to contend with because they were so hyper-focused on how do we defend Dirk after he sets a screen and what do the rest of our guys do. By adding the other screen, it just it just messed teams <laughs> up. And Jet yeah. was so confident coming off of that. Uh, that was a really great rink. I think if people go back and watch that series, especially that Miami series, yeah. that was a very effective play for them. Yeah, they were talking about it. Mike Brain and you know Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy were talking about it on the broadcast, and they were like, "This is so genius! This is so genius!" But it seems so obvious, you mm-hmm. know, just to send send your biggest man to go, you know to go screen. I, I, I think, but a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with it, it's. There's a very intricate dance that goes on with your help defense yeah. based on where the screen is set, who's setting it, the guy who has the ball. And so they prepare for these things, right? right? And so that's why, like, one of the things that the Spurs did for so long that was so good was they had Tony Parker in his prime and Ginobili in his prime, and they could run screen and rolls on either side of the floor within the same 24-second shot clock. And that put help defenses in a tizzy, man. Yeah, there's just motion everywhere yes. and trying to figure out who to follow. And right. switching is you know, so hard when you because, because I mean, that's, that's a very orchestrated thing, and it happens so fast. And if there's... 
you know, cracks in the dam, those will be exploited by good, aggressive offensive players. Yeah. And Jet did that really well in that Well, and then you have the, the comments from Jet and, and Deshaun. I can't remember who exactly said it, but that this isn't the best defense we've, you know, we've played and just like kind of poking the bear at right. <laughs> at their defense as well. You can you can make an argument and it's not even it's not even that tough of an argument. The best the the team that gave him the most help was Portland. But I also mm. feel like Brandon Roy. But yeah, but I also feel like overcoming that series and overcoming kind of the perception the team had mm-hmm. and then following that up with just totally destroying the Lakers. That was the kind of moment where it was like those guys really started feeling their oats and realizing how good they were. We belong here. Right. And and Chuck's original point is right. They had the third best record in the Western Conference. I was very, you know, bullish on the team going into the season. But once Karan Butler got hurt, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know that we have enough offense. Right. Well, you have enough offense if one of the best players of all time is going to play at his peak offensive level and then everyone's going to be in the right place at the right time and knock down shots and you execute. And that's what that team did for a two-month stretch better than most teams have ever done in the history of the league. Yeah, and then you just look back, and I think in retrospect, you see that Heat team go on to win two more championships, and then you think, oh, well, they, you know, that team, the Mavericks team, you know, sort of just came over the hump, and it was a miracle team because of the later success of that that Heat team, but that's because they had to put it together, you know, a couple They had years to put later. it together, and, and Followell makes this argument a lot, and I think he's dead right. It's a great point. One of the real key ingredients of the Mavericks championship run was timing of yeah. the individual players that came together and how they came together. A lot of guys, like a guy like Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd forced his way to the Mavericks as his last attempt to get mm. a championship. Right, And he's, he assessed that and said, you know, I, that I can win a championship with Dirk, right? And there was bumps in the road when he first got yeah. here. There's a lot of untold stories that don't need to be told. It was <laughs> rocky, okay? But they eventually came together and got right. it done. So you have that. You have the contract status of certain guys, like namely a Tyson Chandler, for example. There was a confluence of events of we've got to come together and get this done. And part of that timing was, wow, we don't get it done now. How many championships are those guys going to win? There was a sense of urgency that had to be capitalized on, and that Maverick team did it. Yeah, and we kind of feel that now and, you know, present day NBA, you know, with the the Warriors and right. putting that team together and then have all these other teams, you know, like the Rockets, like we mentioned before, throwing these trying to throw these teams together and just saying, Man, we don't figure this out. This team is, you know, they're giving up these players are giving up money to you know to, I, I, to I, stick together. You made a great point. I respect what the Rockets are doing. I I think like one of the things that happens that we always forget is uh the power of injuries and untimely yeah. injuries. I mean, ask the Oklahoma City Thunder about that. Yeah. Ask the Clippers about that. Or do, Those, or you can ask the 2015, you know, Warriors that they went through the finals and they didn't have to play. I think it was like Marcus All was injured right. and all those guys. Uh, you know, I mean, Conley down. was great, and it, even Tony Allen getting yeah. hurt mattered yeah. for them. So those are good points. And so my point is, you can look at what Golden State has assembled and drop your shoulders and go, oh, I guess we need to plan for the 2019 draft. Take my ball and go home. <laughs> well, the Rockets are like, oh, okay, everyone's doing that. All right, we'll make ourselves the second-best team, and let's see if Golden State can stay healthy. Let's see if they can play that caliber of ball at that high of a level yeah. for three consecutive seasons. So I, res- I respect what they're doing. I respect their gamble. And even though I hate the Rockets, um, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if they – if they did what they wanted to do. I respect them going for it yeah. when other people are tucking their tail. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the Rockets. Okay, good because point. Because people don't, people don't like it on lockdown, but good. the body language of that team is going to be so overanalyzed this season. Absolutely. Oh, anytime is. Chris Paul and James Harden talk together, it's going to be just yeah. like, look at, look at his eyebrows there. and you know, you, you, you know Watch what? the beard move. I think, I think a lot of people have been like, well, how do those guys play together? To me, it's not how do those guys play together. Yeah. It's how do those guys play together under D'Antoni. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you put them in a different system and no one's asking that question. Yeah. You put them in D'Antoni's system where one guy has the ball the so entire much. time and makes every decision and everything lives and breathes off Steve Nash or even freaking dude. Jeremy Lin. Je- exactly. <laughs> that that does not happen if he's not playing no. for Mike D'Antoni on a desperate team. Here's the ball. Do whatever <laughs> do you want. Do something. For- right. And it didn't happen when Carmelo came back. Right. Which was, you know, obviously Carmelo outweighed Jeremy Lin, so... This will be interesting. All right, back to the Mavericks, 2011. Yeah. yeah. You know, done with the Rockets. Basketball, man. They win, okay? Mm-hmm. And I've heard, you know, there's a lot of stories after the game, parties, different things, mm-hmm. and you were at a couple of those. I was at the the real uh, hectic one <laughs> uh, that it's, it's so is uh, – I always thought it was a Roman numeral. I keep hearing people <laughs> call it club, live or club, live, but it's L-I-V. I thought it was a Roman numeral, right? right? But what would, it, what would that be like? Fifty. I'd have to go look at the history of the Super Bowls. I don't Fifty-four know. something. Right, Super Bowl Laverne. But anyways, <laughs> so the night that particular Sunday night was also the the weekly Lil Wayne night. Like he had the club that night. It was yeah. always a, a party that he threw on with a line out the door and a hundred dollar cover charge. And dude, people in Miami are lined up to pay that stuff. Yeah. So that's where the party, you know, was the after party yeah. or whatever. And uh, you good know. starting point. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and so I I actually you know I had to work because uh, we were you know we, the ESPN was the flagship station and so did an interview on Jet and all the stuff and then we did some post game stuff and so yeah. by the time I got back to the hotel I think Ben was ready to crash but I was going to find out where it was and then let him know yeah and then I texted Followell he said hey it's at this place it's this cab ride whatever I was like okay so I called Ben and Ben just didn't answer I think he passed <laughs> Ben's out Ben's out. And so I was like, Ben's done. See you later, homie. He's like, Lil Wayne's there? No. Like, I'm not <laughs> so, I'm not a wheezy guy. I'm so <laughs> I went, and when I got there, I had to finagle and do some things to get in the door. Sure. Uh, but I Find some girls on the street. <laughs> yeah, hey, these are my, my ladies. <laughs> but I eventually got in. That's a long story. Doesn't need to be told again. But I eventually got in. But the area where the party was was hard to get to. Sure. And so I had this really weird story where I'm I'm looking at it going, how do I get in there? And so... There is a staircase that goes upstairs, and I can look underneath the landing and see, like, legs and some light shining through. <laughs> like, that's Dirk's calves. Right. <laughs> so I got on my hands and knees and crawled through that space. <laughs> no joke. And this is the part that's not believable, but I swear to God, yeah. it's true. I crawled past Holger. Holger was <laughs> sitting underneath that landing in his members-only jacket covered in champagne. Like, it keeps spilling on him, and he's texting whoever in Germany. Yeah. Just with this crazy evil smile on his face, <laughs> and so I'm like, "Oh, hey, Holger!" And he he goes, "Because that's what he always says." <laughs> yeah. Anytime you say something to Holger, "Hey, Holger, what's your favorite coffee?" Huh? You know, that's what he always says. <laughs> so I crawl past Holger. Holger, and I crawl literally between these two people. Yeah. And I stand up, and I'm standing next to Dirk on this like platform area <laughs> with this sea of people out in front of us. And so I did what anybody would do. Yeah. I stood there for five hours. Oh, yeah. I'm not going anywhere. No. I'm not losing this spot. No, it never happened again. No. no. And the byproduct of that is that I took some pictures. I was I started live tweeting the party. Sure. And this is, you know, June of 2011. Twitter's not what it is now. Yeah. Twitter was invented in like 2007, 8? It was like I think I probably <laughs> like a couple years jumped, I think I probably jumped on Twitter in 2010 is my guess. I don't remember exactly. I'm sure there's like a So in your, and, you're in your infancy. Right. <laughs> your and Twitter so, infancy. I am. I'm live tweeting it. Yeah, and so we're at that time, if I remember correctly, I think Ben and I are doing the nine to noon show on ESPN, and so 
uh, you know, we're going to do our show Monday morning from Miami. So, anyways, a couple things happened. But as I was live <laughs> tweeting, there's a real famous picture where Dirk is drinking from an $80,000 or $90,000 yeah. bottle of champagne. I took those pictures. And be, and the guy, some guy that worked for Deadspin took the pictures off of my Twitter feed and posted them. Sure. And so as Deadspin does, as Deadspin does, and so it's like I don't know six in the morning or seven in the morning when everybody starts leaving. Yeah, and and Ben and I didn't sleep. Oh, so what happened was, anyways, one of the real funny stories is Dirk turns to me at one point and he's wearing Jan Mahimi's glasses. <laughs> They're like these big comical looking glasses, and he goes, "Where's Ben?" Because it's like loud balls, yeah. and I go, "He's at the hotel. He's not." And then he cuts me off and goes. Water, please. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's too good. So I pulled my phone out, and I called Ben again. And this time he answers, and maybe he's seeing my Twitter timeline. Yeah, right. I don't he's know. like, what did I miss? Right. Well, he, he goes, so, you know, when you're in a loud place trying to talk to someone yeah. on a phone? So I think he hears what I say. I don't know. I'm tra- yeah, we're at this place. Dirk said you're a blah, blah, you know, and we're doing this routine. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm like, I don't, I don't hear him. I don't know. I look. I got connection gone. So I put my phone in my pocket. And I swear, like, 45 minutes later, I look up, and Ben is in the middle of the club next to Earl K. Sneed. <laughs> he, like, he, like, figured out a way. He's like, I'm there. So, so Ben did make the party, uh, albeit a couple hours late. But then we, we don't sleep. Like, we no. go straight to the air drunk, basically. Yeah. And You always so, see the, the players, like, the day after have to do interviews, and you're just saying, what has that guy's night been or, like? <laughs> dude, what is Deshaun's week like? When he did the interview with Coop yeah. at the AAC, oh, yeah. my God, that was insane. <laughs> like, oh, he's not making a lot of sense. And that I think I'd like to hear that interview again. I think that's the greatest interview in sports history. But anyways. <laughs> we'll have to dig that up. So I, we, we're on the air in like an hour. We get to the station, and I open my computer, and I log on to Deadspin, and there's these pictures I took. And I was like, dude, that – I took that picture. Man, I took that picture like two hours ago. How did that happen? That's weird. So uh, that that's like one of the things that always sticks with me about that night. The power it's of Twitter. The power of Twitter and how it all unfolded and then just, you know, having to go talk about that game on no sleep inebriated. I don't know if does that break an F- I don't know if that breaks an FCC rule, but that was <laughs> that was a really fun night. That was incredible. And it's, you know, probably my best Sports media memory of all time is the way that whole thing unfolded, and probably a life memory. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to beat your kids. You know, having kids is pretty awesome. But, but if uh, you were, if you had to pick a scenario, yeah, it, it would include Dirk, uh huh, really expensive alcohol, right, <laughs> and a party that you probably shouldn't have been in, right? Absolutely, had no business being there. <laughs> definitely. So, coming, I mean, flying back. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you flying back with the team? No, they were in the air. While we were finishing our radio show. Yeah. So, like, the Suck My Dirk shirt yeah. that Deshaun, <laughs> we were watching that on TV. while, And I think we had just maybe, I'm trying to remember the order of operations there. I think we, I'm trying to think of when we flew out. So we had to fly out commercial. Right. And then get back Monday night and then go back on the air on Tuesday. Mm. I mean, that whole thing, man. So that whole time period. So Ben and I were at every Maverick game, home and away for the whole playoff run. Yeah. Because the broadcast, we do the first round, and there were six games. Right. And then we're at ESPN, and they were the flagship station, and we had a really good sponsor, uh, Driver Select. They were like, they saw a lot of value in us being on the road. So since I was on the TV broadcast, Cuban was nice enough to let me and Ben fly on the team plane as much as we could. Nice. That didn't interfere with the broadcast, right? Right. Well, with the radio broadcast. Yeah. Can't take... So if the team is flying in the middle of our show, yeah, you're not gonna. Have but it. usually the plane takes off at three. We were getting off the air at noon, so it worked out pretty good for the most yeah. part. 
So, you know, that helped. And we always stayed in the hotel the team was in, so we got a media rate. So we were able to to be there for every single game. Man. And I always tell people this. Uh, that was sandwiched in between me and Ben going to every single game for two World Series runs, right? Wow. So yeah. think about this. From October of 2010 to November of 2011, that's three marathon <laughs> sports road trips that were amazing. Like, the whole thing's a blur, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, yeah. So much traveling, but we're doing shows in the middle of all that. We're having a great time. As our president says, so much winning. Oh, all the winning. <laughs> but, so but, winning. But one of the things, the byproduct of that is that was where I think our show got a little footing. Yeah. That was a time period where, like, because if you listen to our show at that time period, I mean, there's so many good sports talk shows in town. I'm not saying we're better or worse or whatever, but we were doing things during those runs that nobody else could do because they simply didn't have access. Yeah. You know, there's shows that are covering the Mavericks. They're doing a good job. They're not on their plane, homie. They're not on their bus. <laughs> They're not in their hotel. We, no. we were granted access that literally nobody else had. And no. so that gave our show tremendous legs and tremendous and credibility life and as well. Too. Credibility. And Ben and I are eternally grateful to the Mavericks and the Texas Rangers for that basically 13-month stretch. Dang. Mark Cuban makes another career. Yeah, it's what he do, man. That's absolutely so what he do. You would say that you were one of the first Shark Tank. You'd say Maybe, <laughs> except I didn't really make a pitch. They just called me one day and said, you were supposed to be here right now. Pitch was, was like, like let me just stick around with you guys. Yeah, dude, I really, the first game I did for the Mavericks was home game against the Knicks in winter of 2009, and I showed up, and I really didn't know what my responsibility was. I didn't know. I thought I was because <laughs> Emily Jones at that time was the Mavericks sideline reporter. Okay, yeah. So I knew I wasn't a sideline reporter. I thought maybe they wanted me to do a bit or something. I didn't know <laughs> that they were putting me on the broadcast for the entire game. Speak whenever you have something to say. Yeah, right. Like I, I haven't heard that in a long time. But I know that when I first hit the air, I was talking so ridiculously fast. It sounded like it, it sounded like it was sped up. Yeah, like I was just nervous energy and follow well you know there's an early timeout and i think we're maybe four possessions in the game and follow well writes down slow down yeah, exclamation like, point slides out. it over in front of me i'm like oh okay good good that's good advice that's good <laughs> advice thank you thank you very much um so yeah that's uh that cuban's just you know he likes to do things that other people ain't doing oh, and yeah. uh certainly ben and i have benefited from all that Definitely. All right, last question I want to yeah. ask you. What's the, besides maybe like the parties, or what's the thing you're going to remember most from that series? Maybe it's something on the court or, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot. God, there's so much to go to, but I'll, I'll give you one specific thing, and it's actually from the parade. Okay. Okay, so yeah, the yeah. parade started. It's Dirk singing. The, well, not, not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there for that. I think we were on the air. I, yeah. I can't remember how that happened, but I got to be on a, a float with, uh, Ortigal and Chuck and Followell, right. uh, Katia Vialba and her dad were on the float. <laughs> um, but anyways, so it starts at the Dallas Convention Center, and we're all inside, and you know all these people are here, and Jet walks in wearing a robe, <laughs> and he's handing cigars out to everybody. <laughs> and if Jet hands you a cigar, I think he had just bought like a out of store. Yeah, no, 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 like a like a really expensive car. I'm not a big car guy. I think it was like a Lamborghini or something. Or yeah, a, I don't know. What does James Bond drive? Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, so he he apparently that bought mobile. it in that robe, and then came to the to the parade. Yeah, and we haven't pulled out yet. And so he's handing out cigars to people. Yeah, and so Jet hands me a cigar, and I'm like, shoot, I love cigars. Are you kidding <laughs> me? We're partying. So I light up a cigar, wear my jeans, my shirt, right. 
start taking a couple puffs. We pull out on the street, and I drive out into June, Texas heat, Oof. smoking a cigar. <laughs> that was a horrible decision. <laughs> but you've got to finish the cigar. <laughs> So I finished that damn cigar, yeah. and by the time we got to whatever it was, you know, uh, Lamar Street or whatever we're on, <laughs> I've finished that cigar. I am buzzing. I am sweating my just But somehow feeling accomplished. But feeling accomplished, <laughs> feeling and like I, I have a few things that I kept from all that. Yeah. And one of them is about that much, like an inch. half an inch yeah. butt of cigar. <laughs> and I still have it. I have it in a box. And that 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 thing means something. The Plaxus Jet Cigar. Jet Cigar, baby. <laughs> Jet, was... Jet gave me this in a robe that I didn't know. <laughs> I wasn't should, I should have taken his robe? He wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I could have worn the Jet robe. That would have been awesome. Or just cut off like a piece of it. Yeah, <laughs> just get like a little bit of it. Exactly. Well, skin. This has been super enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us on Lockdown Mavericks. Thank and, you. Uh, hope to hear from you again anytime, brother. All right. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17